0: For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper.
1: Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? As you know, I believe that every day is to be celebrated when and if we take the time to do so. Notice I said when. I believe it's very important that we do so. I wanna take a moment to talk about three very important people in my life. Uh, They are Susan L. Schulman, who was a very well-known publicist in the Broadway community, Jay Rogers, who was my director, and Edith Eisenberg, who is the mother of Jana Robbins. I mention all three because they all passed away this past week. Uh, three losses in my life. Edith was 100 years old, so I celebrate the longevity of her life. Uh, Jay Rogers, uh, gone all too soon. And Susan Schulman, uh, just, I, I think of these losses, I like to think of them as I learned in a wonderful poem. I think of all of them as being in the next room and they will all live in my heart. But there's a special word today that I want to celebrate with each and every one of you. I celebrate each person who is here to watch the show today. And the word of the day is gratitude. And I, as all of you who watch this show know, I practice gratitude on a daily basis. And I am so grateful for today's guests. Uh, Shonda Trev, I have been, I mean, you inspire me on so many levels. So number one, I'm grateful for the fact that you were on today's show.
0: Thank I am you. grateful
1: for Roger Neal, who brought Amen. us together.
0: Amen, yes. Yeah. I,
1: yes, I am grateful for the work that you do for children. So, thank you for that. And we're going to delve into all of this. I'm grateful for the fact that you have an amazing new book out. And I'm grateful for the fact that you are being generous today and giving away a copy of the book. Uh, All of our guests, all you need, uh, all of our audience today, all you need to do is comment with the hashtag gratitude. Yay. and And you may win this book at the end of the show. I want to ask you. Uh, because we're going to talk about some very special women in your life, uh, because they are all part of this book. But I want to ask you about gratitude. Uh, And I'm sure that I already know the answer before I even ask. Do you practice daily gratitude in your life?
0: Richard, let me say, number one, thank you for having me on the show. And you're just um, such a pleasure. I can just tell you're just, I don't know, suave. You're just... uh, in the moment enjoying life and so that's a blessing already to me so thank you for having me on but gratitude is something that has helped me get through the last year if i was not grateful uh, you can either think about how rough your life is or bad your life is or whatever because everybody goes through something right but if you will uh, stop pause and choose to be thankful to have gratitude in your heart you can literally change you know, you can go from tears to laughter, or maybe tears of sorrow to tears of joy and gratitude. So, yeah, gratitude is a key to survival. Honestly, it really is.
1: Do you want to go there now, or do you want?
0: To to- <laughs> what? Uh, you just asked me a question. I mean, you, want
1: no, you want to go there later because, first of all, I, I mentioned at the beginning of my show, uh, I lost three close yeah. friends this week.
0: Just in uh, right. and.
1: Uh, I want to talk about Rob, uh, your wonderful husband, Pastor Rob. Um, In a parking lot, he steps on a screw. And, you know, I I heard you say that when you saw the blood, you almost passed out yourself. But he calmly called you over Mm -hmm. to be by his side. Uh, And that one moment, literally, Changed everything Your changed your whole world. Do you want to take over from that? You can tell everyone what happened
0: uh well it was last february of 2021 so we're not not that far away my wonderful husband of 21 years stepped on a screw in just a parking lot at the box store he had just ran down uh, to the store you know how you do on a saturday and by the time he got back well, I, well, I was at the church we were meeting at the church by the time he got back to the church his shoe had filled with blood so he called the doctor and yeah you heard the you heard me tell that version of the story like the long version because when he so calmly called me over, honestly, I was in a hurry. I was doing something like I always am. I'm like, what? you know? <laughs> and so much blood. I grabbed the, the desk I stayed in front of like I was going to pass out because I'm not good with blood. Uh, so I, I thought he'd like cut his leg off or something. There was so much blood, but he had just punctured it. So he called his doctor. The doctor said, if it'll quit bleeding, come see me on Monday. If it won't quit bleeding, go to the emergency room. Well, maybe two minutes, five minutes, you know, I'm a drama queen, right? It stopped bleeding. It it had just kind of made a mess because he had ridden the car for about 15 minutes and it had bled. So by Monday, there wasn't even a mark on the bottom of his foot. I mean, it was nothing. And he shows me his foot and says, look at that. He said, I don't, this was on Monday. He said, I don't think I'll even call the doctor. Do you think I should? I said, looks fine to me, you know. That was it. That was middle of February. And then in May, uh, he had emergency surgery. And then uh, where he had uh, infection, gangrene had set up in his foot. And they went in there and scraped out. I didn't know you could keep, uh, got my hand here. They can take out the entire part of your foot and leave everything else intact. It was amazing. Let me
1: ask you, leading up to that, were there signs or things that there were issues that you needed to concern yourself with? Or did this happen suddenly?
0: Um, well, my husband was a diabetic, so but he m- managed it. You know, I, honestly, he didn't tell me his numbers every day. I'm not his mother, you know what I mean. But he lived a very full life. He was a studio musician, a drummer, drummer. That, that's how Grammy, you that. Yes, a Grammy, a Grammy award winning uh, producer, and so he was working all the time. And no, looking back, which they say hindsight's twenty twenty, and I can testify to that. I see in April just looking at old videos of him where he just seemed not as outgoing and funny and loud or whatever. Cause he was always the life of the party. Any room he's in, you got you yourself a comedian and, and Mr. Party. So, but really that was it. And even in May, when he went to the hospital and had emergency surgery, it was such a shock. Cause he was fully functioning. He's going here and there. And he just got a fever and he was like, it was a Wednesday and he's like, I don't think I can make it tonight. I'm, I just don't feel good. So we go to the doctor and his foot had infection in it. And he, he really, he had no idea. He noticed it was sore. And of course he hadn't told me that, but um, it was really a total shock to him and me. And then from, so f- until May, I sincerely had no idea, none from May. That was the end of May. He went to the doctor every single Monday, like, clockwork he did everything the doctor said his blood sugar i can tell you what it was his a1c was perfect so there are no issues there and he went into cardiac arrest uh november the 9th and i would later find out because he had had every heart test they're telling me how great his heart is no blockages all this thing goes into cardiac arrest because infection in your body wears down your major organs which is your brain heart mm-hmm. kidneys and liver right and um it had worn his heart down, and we would then be in the hospital for 30 days. We went home for less than 24 hours, and he, that was it. He went home to be at the Lord on December the 9th. I was 48 years old. Our oldest daughter was 20, and our son was 16. So to say, my husband was 56. So to say that was a shock, it's still a shock. It hadn't even been a well, year yet. of course, yet. it hasn't even been yeah. a
1: year yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you're, you've are you got your faith that gets you through, uh, through this, yeah. but... What, I mean, what advice do you give everyone who's watching right now on getting through this, obviously, one day at a time? What do you say to everyone watching right now?
0: Well, I'll tell you my story real quick is that I didn't believe in God the day he died. I had been serving God, knowing God, had a relationship with God uh, probably my whole life, but... There, so what do you my, mean probably
1: your whole life yeah well Not your whole life
0: because <laughs> i make a joke and sometimes so i think i maybe have offended people before i'm just kidding but i tell people i was born saved because of my parents were missionaries and i didn't have a choice so I was to, born yes. a, <laughs> but we all have a choice but that's just a little joke i think i was literally i was raised in the mission field so i all i've ever known is serving the lord and doing for uh helping people. My parents helped people. So that's all I've ever known. But my advice to you today would be is if you're having a oh your, there's my parents. Yeah that parents. was that's actually before I was even born because yeah. they were missionaries since nineteen sixty like 64, I think it was. And I was born in 73. Oh, so you're
1: I was
0: a <laughs> baby. I was a baby. I was born in the family business. But if you're having a good day today, if things are going well there I am. That is at the airport. I'm uh, so, I, in I am airport
1: so glad that I found this photograph. Yes. Together.
0: <laughs> that's the one I wanted to send you. Yes. Whoa, so that's wow. me in Haiti. Yes. That's the one I wanted to send you. So if you're having a good day today, go ahead and, uh, have community do something good for somebody be you know a, a, t- a, a secular term would be being in a good headspace because this is preparation because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and here you've lost three friends this week you don't know what you're going to face
1: do you i mean it's funny because a lot of people that are watching right now that i'm seeing in the comments section are people who follow the show uh, Excuse me for going here religiously.
0: Yes. Uh, so uh,
1: They watch the show regularly. Yes. And there's a, a closing comments that I say daily. And you're saying all of that right now. So I appreciate that you're saying this.
0: Well, it's um, just so true.
1: It is so true.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but I want to talk about this. You know, I grew up, um, you know, it's very funny. Uh, when I, I grew up in South Carolina, uh, I'm a Southern boy myself.
0: Okay. Uh, that's so, where my husband's from.
1: So uh, I, I'm i sorry?
0: That's where my husband is from, South Carolina, Greenville area. Uh huh, yeah. Where? Greenville, South okay. Carolina.
1: That's on the other side of the state. I grew up okay. just outside of Myrtle Beach. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I grew up living right next door to a church, and now directly across the street from where I live, uh, uh, across the road is a church. I'm doing a Christmas concert there on uh, uh, December 10th for anyone who's watching. Uh, and uh, there's another church just a few doors down. Uh, so I have been surrounded by churches my whole life. whole life. You literally came out of the womb and right yes. into that world. That's right, um, yes. And uh, forgive me for where I'm about to go with this, Shonda, uh, but I also, uh, very close friends, uh, the children of the pastor. Uh, There is a lot of pressure on you when your (laughs) parents.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh Cause everybody's supposed to be perfect, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. Did you feel that pressure growing up with your parents being missionaries and being in that world?
0: Sincerely, my life's a little bit different because we were on the mission field. We were in Mexico and Haiti. We had a home in both. I went to school in America, but it was correspondence. So I would go to school when we were in America And pastoring is completely different in that you are with the same people every week. They know what you do. They've seen where you were on Friday night. Now you had social media and all that. But pastoring does put you, as far as preacher's kids at least, under a microscope a whole lot more, I think, than being a missionary. And I was raised as a missionary. So, you know, you go around. The hardest part about that is you get attached to people and then you don't see them again for a year or maybe ever. but um because we were forever it's called itinerating where my parents had gone around trying to raise the funds in the church to uh do what they were doing so 50 years they were on the mission field they but
1: but uh, you kept but you kept on that same path i kept on that same path when i was say that again uh, what was it that kept you on that path
0: When I was real young, I had one desire and that was to not do what they did because I wanted to not travel anymore and do all that. But I think I share my parents' heart and especially my dad. My dad had such a I mean, he would do anything to feed one more child. That's that was his goal. to Feed one more child, feed one more child. He would go to such lengths. And for whatever reason, I just understood it. And my mom was very full of tenacity, like whatever dad said, do fine. We'll try it. You know, they, the first time they took me to Haiti, I was three months old. And I'm like, they, my mom had to be crazy to take me to Haiti at three months old. And then fast forward, going through everything that I've went through, even in the last year, I reflect a lot on that. I'm like, well, if they could do what they did, leaving everything that they had because it was kind of uh, later. They already kind of had their career and then decided to be missionary. So if they could have the tenacity to do it, they did. And what my parents did is once they knew what they were doing, thus missionary, those feeding children, they never wavered. They stuck to it. And in today's world, I see a lot of people when it gets hard, they change, they quit. So even again, not that I'm trying to make it all about me, but in this last year, I have reflected and gained much strength from that, knowing that if I was doing the right thing last year, then I'm going to keep doing the same right thing this year. And if you believe that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, he is not bipolar. He does not want you to be, you know, a painter on Tuesday, and he wants you to be a professional bowler on Friday. You have a set of gifts. And not that things don't evolve and change, but people it just gets hard and they get out of gratitude for what they've been given, what they have. And they try to switch gears completely. And the truth is, you know, we, uh, people want to think the grass is greener on the other side. Well, you got to mow and maintain that grass as well. And uh, that's what you just have to realize that anything you do is going to get difficult. And that's what I've just told myself in this last year, which has given me a tenacity to stick with it.
1: Well, I want to ask, you know, with your parents traveling as much as they did, did they ever have uh, real roots in one particular area?
0: Well, they both were uh, from Springfield, Missouri. They met in Bible school. Both my grandpas. It's an it's an organization called the Assemblies of God. If you really want to know the real story, no, of course, they, I do. yes, they had been Assemblies as of God, and. Uh, I'm not knocking the Assemblies of God. My parents had pastored five different churches in the Assemblies, but then they felt like they were called to the mission field Mm -hmm. and said organization didn't want them to do it, didn't want them to go. And so they left everything, left the organization. And that was a giant taboo to do that. And both of my grandpas turned their backs on them because they thought they had lost their mind. And so, but they felt like they knew what they were supposed to do and they did it. And, They stuck with it. That's largely what I refer to. But now I think all of that was literally for me, for the next generation, because Mm -hmm. everything, if they would have went to the mission field under the guise of any organization, everything that they would have done would have been that organization. So they went out on their own and did a whole brand new work, which is very difficult. Very difficult. So now the amazing things that we get to do and that we get to continue to do, uh, you're looking at 60 years of missionary work. It's not just an overnight thing. We've got the longevity and uh, I have orphanages in Haiti today that are debt free. We have beds, we have every staff, everything's paid for. All we need is the money for the overhead because of my parents, everything they did was debt free, right? So, uh, So, and that's the way it should be generational. And I'm honored to get to carry on. I am. I am.
1: You know, it's interesting as I get older, especially. I mean, there are times when I will be looking in the mirror and I will see my father looking that, right back at crazy. me. Yeah. is that crazy?
0: Yeah. And not,
1: I want to ask with you and your mom, are there moments when you go, that's my mom uh, in terms of the work that you do?
0: Well, absolutely. With the tenacity and the backbone. I mean, once... Once my mom was, you know, my dad would say tough old gal. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good thing to say these days. But, uh, but yeah, just the staying power, the sticking with it, the plowing through, not giving up. I think uh, I see a generation and I'm really not that far away from them. I'm 49 years old right now, but mm-hmm. a lot of people just pick up anchor and change, move cross cut. Kind of, you know, just looking for happiness or looking for, and if you'll just lock in to what you feel like you're supposed to do, what brings you joy, uh, then, but nothing's going to be easy. Nothing's going to be easy, but I think eventually you'll get there.
1: So as you were going into your teenage years and you were getting older, I know that you're also a singer and you're in the music world. Uh, did you have a certain path that you were desiring to be on or did you always feel that you were going to be in the world of religion or did you feel that you were going to be uh, working with children because the work that you do is very important there? Did you have a specific career path that you were looking towards uh, when you were in your teen years uh, as you were looking towards graduating from high school?
0: honestly not outside of the missionary work and music was always there, but I've always known people who wanted to be a star and you're kind of like to yourself, you ain't going to be, you know what I mean? (laughs) It ain't going to happen. And for whatever reason, yes, I do sing when needed upon, you know, but not like I'm going out trying to be a singer and absolutely nothing wrong with that. But, um, when I was 16 years old, my parents had a anniversary party and I got up and I told the crowd, I told them, my dad would always go with this story, that I knew I'd be the one to carry on their work. That was at 16. And I think that call or that knowing kept me out of a lot of mess that a lot of other people, you know, they got to go try this for two years, this for five years, whatever, or drugs, alcohol, wrong marriages uh, children that they didn't plan on having, whatever, you know, but a purpose will keep you out of a lot of mess. And that's Mm -hmm. why it's good to know a purpose early in life. So I knew it. And then I moved to Nashville. Honestly, I just kind of fell into it. I won't drag you through that. And then once I got here, I, uh, started working in the, for a record company, and that's how I met my husband. We had hired him to play drums, so I certainly love music, around music, as still am. I mean, I have a studio right now. My husband, we had, we've had a studio for years, so now I have a studio. So I'm still in the music business. I'm just a little bit more into it now than I was a year ago, but um, I'm trying to carry on and and use what I've got. So, uh, really, it, it hasn't wavered. So. Fast forwarding just a little bit to orphans, uh, foster care children are orphans in America. We just don't call them orphans. They're called foster care children. So I see how I didn't plan it. But that tug I felt years ago for foster children was really it took me a while to figure that out. I like, oh, yeah, that's still just orphans <laughs> that I'm led to feel drawn to help so it's all still kind of in the same lane and I wanted to do what my parents did but I didn't want to do it how they did it and there is some scripture in Genesis uh, Abraham and Sarah God told them I'm going to bring you out from the land that you're in into a place that you don't know and I felt I I remember reading that passage of scripture and I remember thinking I think I'm going to do something like my parents but it's going to be totally different than my parents so I'm open to doing just about anything, but my parents spend all their time going from church to church to church, where with through love for music city, it is a non-religious. Now I hope my mom don't roll over in her grave on that one, but a <laughs> non-religious 501 C three, which has opened doors for us to work. Well, Let's Jesus go there
1: government. for a moment okay. because I, you know, I, I because the book it still hasn't arrived. Uh, although Roger sent me the digital version. And yes, I,
0: I actually got it on Saturday in your copy. It just, it just
1: arrived on the Saturdays. I cannot wait to read this book. Um, and uh, Saturday is National Book Lovers Day. Uh, so uh, know
0: that. This, coming Saturday? Book,
1: this coming Saturday. Oh, so everybody who loves okay. books, order All this right. book. Um, but I want to go there for a moment because you reached out for because of the work that you were doing. And if I get this wrong, please forgive me. Um, But you reached out some time ago uh, to get some funding, and you were unable to get the funding because of separation of church and state. Am I correct on this?
0: We try to help foster children through the church. I wasn't asking for funding. I was just going to help foster kids at Christmas time, to be honest. And they... Pleasantly said, no, thank you, because of the separation of church and state. And I was relieved. I was like, oh, well, hallelujah. (laughs) I don't have to do that. Kind of like I got my good person badge kind of thing. But I had watched a news story on like ABC, NBC. So just a network news story about foster children taking their items from house to house in trash bags. And that just got me, as it should every American. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't happen. In America. So someone from our church went, it wasn't me personally, but they went down there and asked if we could do something. They said no in a very nice way. And that was that. So that's what you're talking about. Yeah.
1: What is it in this country when people want to help these kids that there's so much red tape involved?
0: Well, partially I understand it because foster care children are federally protected because you do not, you cannot put their faces on social media. When they go to school, they do. It, it's a bullying peer pressure thing. Mm-hmm. They don't want anyone to know that they're a foster child, right? Mm-hmm. So which those of us who work in foster care, it makes it very hard to raise money
1: mm-hmm. because
0: you can't show really what you're doing. It's like a co-op op- operation. So it's very difficult because you're trying desperately. Everyone, even though we don't know each other, but we're working on the same team to protect the value and dignity of the child. Because they've been through the worst trauma ever to even be in the system, so so that's the red tape. And then of course there's lots of red tape with adopting. And I've actually even been invited, um, and very very honored to do so, to be invited to meetings to talk about said things with government officials. But even cutting the red tape isn't for uh, for a uh, adoption will help possibly, but it ain't gonna solve it it's uh, it's too big of an issue with the older children the elementary and the high school children it's
1: so everyone who's watching right now how can they get involved uh in the work that you're doing
0: well uh love for music city dot org is our website so anybody can go there one of the main things that we do that anyone could sponsor is a love pack and i don't have one you might be able to find a picture to throw up at some point it's larger than a backpack but it's a large bag so that replaces that trash bag that goes from house to house and so they can put their items in that but it comes with pajama bottoms t-shirts socks personal hygiene items so the night that they're put into the system they can take a shower put on clean clothes they have socks they can brush your teeth you'd be shocked the amount of people that they can't even do that. They don't even have a toothbrush. They have no clothes. And Mm -hmm. even if they have personal items, many, many, many times they're not allowed to take anything that first night because it's a crime scene. There's some other kind of issue going on, and the DCS worker will go back the next day, the week after, whatever the case may be, to get their things. So just about every child, there's that in-between trauma, after the trauma, Mm -hmm. that 24, 48 hours, some longer. So we do that. And that's a $50 is what we asked to sponsor the bag. There's no way you could buy the bag and everything in it for $50, but because of our other sponsors, people who give us socks, t-shirts, whatever, we're able to put it together and do that. We get calls from all across, all across the state and otherwise, uh, for love left packs because there's such a need. So that is something anyone can do, but I would encourage anyone listening. You have a, you have a DCS where if you live in America, You live in a county and there's a DCS there. You could call that DCS and they would certify you as a volunteer if you wanted to just help a foster kid with their homework. Um, They're not going to let you take them anywhere, but there's usually foster children sitting in the DCS office in every county. In the county I live in Middle Tennessee, there'll be children sleeping on the conference tables tonight. Mm -hmm. Tonight, in Davidson County, which is Nashville, there'll probably be 20 or 30 every night. Through COVID, the intake has went up of foster care children, and the amount of parents has went down. Foster care parents has went down. So we are in a crisis. By law, you can look this up yourself. A social worker is only permitted to have 20 cases. Now, a case could be a sibling set of two or three children, five children, right? Only 20 cases. In Middle Tennessee right now, we have upwards of 80 cases per social worker. And I want you to think about that. How could you, Richard, I know you're the interviewer, but how could you look out for oversee know where they're at are they in school are they being injured are they being sexually molested are they uh, getting the proper health care dentistry work they're supposed to get going to mental health services that the government has paid for oh by the way it's all paid for it's the government's putting the money into the programs it's the human um, in the equation that is missing so that one dcs worker cannot physically handle 80 cases. No,
1: of course not. They can't. Is there any particular area in the country that is worse? uh, I mean, that is like number one on the list that needs the most work?
0: That is a great question. And I don't particularly know the answer off the top of my head. I I don't want to quote what I think, because if I were wrong, it would be bad. But i will tell you there's some stories from middle tennessee and this will sound bad because you live in new york i don't want to offend you but when i heard the story i thought oh that child's from new york or you're talking about somebody in la because everyone knows they're overpopulated no this is out in the hills of Tennessee. Uh, one child uh, we're going to be highlighting her at our gala, which is actually this Thursday, November the third. We're going to be live streaming it this year, so I'd love to, for people to watch it. go. Love for music. If
1: you send me the information, I will get it. I will put it out to everybody. I that would be
0: wonderful. Thank you. We have a young lady named Michaela. She's now aged out of the system. She and I have verified her story. She was put in a detention center because there was no foster home for her. In a detention center. And I personally went and talked to people in the social care to make sure she was not lying because I'm thinking, oh, well, she had did a crime or something and she's not telling me. No. And Michaela is one of the few people who will give you this glorious story about her foster care experience when she finally went to a home. Oh, the foster parents were so nice. And we actually got to go to the bathroom anytime we wanted to. And we got, you know, a glass of milk anytime we wanted it. When she was in the detention uh, center, she had to earn shampoo. And she had never committed a crime. And I think I'm wanting to say she was 13 or 14. Unbelievable. Don't go to public school. They they school them there because, you know, just like a prison. But it's detention for underage. And because we don't have enough foster care homes, they stuck her in there. And she was about two and a half hours away from where she lived. So they farmed her across the state and put her in a detention center. And her story alone has opened up doors with some of our senators because they don't even know this is happening. They don't
1: know. They don't.
0: They don't even know. So my dad used to you say, know, I, that I mean, my friend
1: Natasha Lombardi is watching here and she's going as a social worker myself, this is insane. I I think she's shocked to hear all of this.
0: I'm telling you, with my hand on a Bible. But my dad, my precious dad, used to say, "If you say somebody's got to do something, usually that somebody is Is you. you.
1: Yes, is you. Yes.
0: So if it tugs your heart, you need to get involved. Absolutely. All I'm saying.
1: I, I want to mention. Last night, I ran into a friend of mine in the city, and her son got married. I'm going, there's a reason why I'm, but I've got an anecdote to get to your story. Hey,
0: it's your show. You, you, take no, it's our long. show. It's our, it's, it's
1: our show today. It's our show. So I, but I read it to this friend. Uh, he uh, got married just before COVID. She does not like his wife at all. And he lives in uh Virginia, West Virginia. He comes back a few times a month, spends time with her, his mom. But she doesn't want to have anything to do. And I said, get to like her. Get Mm -hmm. to find something in her that you like because she loves your son. That's something you two have in common. And I hope to God that they're going to have children. Mm -hmm. And you're going to love those grandchildren, hopefully. Find something that you love in them. There's a reason why I say this. Because when you met Rob Mm -hmm. and you fell in love and you went into that family you went into a family of love. I sure
0: and did. I want to yeah.
1: talk about his mom.
0: Yes. Because
1: his mom became a very close friend of yours. I want to talk about the relationship with Rob's mom, the mother-in-law. They yes. took short shrift a lot of time, but not in your case.
0: Uh, no, more- not
1: a- No. What was it about that special bond that the two of you had?
0: Uh, Well... My mother-in-law, if anyone knew her who's watching, her name's Edith Tripp. If you knew her, you loved her. She was probably one of the most loving people. And my parents were amazing. But Edith just walked in a kind of love. If you said, I've seen her do it. If you said you liked her purse, and she was always Glamour Girl to the max. Uh, I've seen her empty her purse out and give it to somebody. Take off her jewelry and give it to somebody. Uh, Forever giving her clothes away. Uh, and I, I'm not talking about goodwill stuff. I'm talking about the good stuff. If yes. You know what I mean? Just to give her, just as she loved to cook and serve, and just precious and sincerely, my husband was a lot like her. And now that they're both gone, I I see how much they were so much alike, and I really didn't even realize now, how it, much was alike it a year
1: before your husband that she went?
0: Oh no no no! My husband died December the eighth, and seventy one days later. My mother in law died. She died February 17th of this year. So we're um, both of them. Both of them within 71 days. Yes. My mother in love, she actually shares the story ah, in the book. Um, She was given one year to live 18 years ago she was diagnosed with something called sarcoidosis which is also what the comedian bernie Mac died of yes. at age i think it was 53 56 yes. something like that yes. so i'm just saying it was a real killer and she was given a year to live uh, 18 years ago and she nursed herself we believe god touched her but she it was a continual taking care of herself uh pampering herself if you want tons of vitamins you know all that kind of stuff she was into but when her son went to be with the lord she didn't want to be here she anymore. She lost her will to live. She just laid down and died. And because she had had that um, illness that she had truly fought, she was such a fighter, you know, a strong person. I just think she quit fighting and that was it. That was it.
1: Well, I went there because she's very much a part of your book. Yes. And now yes. we want to talk about the book. Yes, So right. uh, the book and congratulations. Uh, Thank you so much. Who planted the seat for the book?
0: Well, honestly... You know, I think it was my idea. I know the title was my idea, but we had talked for a long time. My daughter's a gifted writer. And my mother in law was like, I you know, I want to help to help Hannah. If my story will help, give Hannah a platform. She wanted to do it. And who would drink? We had the book finished and to the publisher last October. My husband went in the hospital in November. And so it laid there and I just didn't even know if I was even gonna do anything. And then I decided, well, you know, especially for my daughter's sake. And then I had to write the last chapter of the book, which was very difficult. It's an epilogue, catch everybody up Mm -hmm. what had happened. So um, I went ahead and did it. And now it's all the more so precious. And I went ahead and included how my mother in law uh, went to be with the Lord and all those things that had happened there at the end. But she contributed three chapters and my daughter contributed two chapters and i think it's 10 or 11 chapters i also put in the back uh, some of my mother-in-law's recipes she was known for her cooking she had a cooking show for 25 years on Mm -hmm. the trinity broadcasting Mm -hmm. network and i'm telling you i don't know if you've ever eaten at paula dean's but paula dean's restaurants is the only cooking well you know you're a southern boy okay i
1: have to tell you in savannah savannah but i you know i tried uh uh, some of uh, Paula Deen's uh, recipes, uh, but I'm telling you, she actually <laughs> she actually has a bread pudding. Are you ready for this? Made with Krispy Kreme donuts.
0: And wow! Do that no, that's over the donuts. top. Yeah, that's <laughs> over the top.
1: <laughs> but I love Paula Deen's cooking and. Uh, But you
0: know, that Southern thing, that's just what my mother-in-law had. I mean, she could make anything. And for some reason, it's just good or better. But she would, you you know, maybe she's seen Paula Deen on TV cooking something and she would make it and take it up a notch. You know, she loved to cook. She loved, she was forever sending food home with people. So we included um, some recipes in the back of the book of Mm -hmm. hers. And then um, she had written some final, I say final, she had written something sweet about every member of our family. And my husband- Wow, what a gift. I know. And again, this was done before my husband went in the hospital. And my husband told me to take that part out that nobody wanted to read that. So I did. You know, I'm gonna listen to Rob. Well, then fast forward, they're both gone, so we put it back in. I'm and glad it's you like did.
1: I am so oh, glad. How
0: amazing. That back in. How amazing. So because that's so this
1: gift. that's a gift to everybody, but I, I, I wanna add because I heard an interview. I went and listened to a few of your interviews. And in one of the interviews, you said that your daughter, you essentially gave her free reign to write what she wanted to, and that some of the things were painful for you to even read, because as a mother, there were things that you weren't even aware that were going on in her life that you did not know until you actually saw the transcripts of what had happened. Um, What was that experience like for you to sit down and see on paper these experiences that your daughter was going through. And of course, uh, spoiler, everybody has to get the book to find out what we're talking about.
0: Well, I think it maybe that's why, cause I didn't realize you had done that much homework, but my daughter has been raised in a pastor's home, which is totally different than missionary. And my daughter had suffered. And I'm going to say taking it a lot more to heart than I had realized. And Rob or I, because she had written it, but Rob was still here, of course, but Preachers' kids are expected to be perfect. And I like to say, as pastors, we are expected to be like the EMT, the 911, the police, the fire department. We're the emergency service a lot of times, but you ain't paying your taxes to us. So you expect the minister and their family to be here on guard, standing, waiting for you. And yes, we are. I pray we're loving. Pastors also all supposed to be loving, but we're people too. and. People who are not a part of the church, or maybe you were a part of the church for three, four, five, ten years, and then leave. We loved you like family, and now you're not here. And my husband and I had suffered that many times, but you tried to take it with stiff upper lip, and I did not realize how much it had wounded my daughter. Because you love people so dearly, and you're with them two and three times a week, and then they're just on and then a lot of times they're bitter over whatever and they talk about you treat you a certain way And she shares some stories that's just you know
1: she's not here to talk so I don't want to uh, put her on the spot but uh did growing up did she ever express any of these things that were bothering her or not to did- the
0: degree that they did no I mean that we sincerely did not realize how deeply they were affecting her because again I think she developed the same thing we had of just that stiff upper lip and you just keep you take it and you keep going you keep loving and you keep just try to be nice to everybody and then you know people talk about you run you down do xyz and then want to come back in two years or they call you when their son's been in a car wreck and they want you to be there johnny on the spot well we will be but we are people, too. We strive to be like Jesus, well, but we are not. <laughs> we there's are not. Something,
1: and it's, it's, it's not just, you know, I mean, especially if you are uh, pastors or if you're religious. But in our culture, there's, and I don't know why, but we hold people up to such a standard that are in the public eye. Yeah. and if you are a pastor's family you are definitely in the public eye and especially in your field because you're uh, you're, you're on uh, television uh people see you wow. uh you make the slightest mistake and uh, people want to condemn you uh, they want to throw stones at you That's uh cool. it is it is a very difficult thing to uh, go through um when did you have outside uh, sources uh, in terms of the process of this book, or were you given carte blanche to create the book that you wanted to create?
0: Um, my, as far as like, is that a publishing question kind of thing? No, I'm
1: asking if you were given basically the right to do anything that you wanted to do with the book. Did you have a vision of what you wanted the book to be?
0: Well, the vision in the beginning was because my mother in law had some amazing stories. My mother in law had been asked to write a book many times, and always turned mm-hmm. it down. And um, my mother in law had some amazing stories. I, I, you know, we'll see if anyone actually buys the book. But I think our story, some of my stories. I was in a tornado back in 06, underneath a bar- uh, buried underneath a house. Me and my daughter, unbelievable. And um, so I thought, well, people ask about it all the time. So uh, and I really want to see people helped. I do and I want to see I, I share it in the book but people a lot of times will um, have a problem, they come to us they, they, they're hurting enough to get honest and then things get a little bit better and maybe a few weeks go by and then they want you to act like you didn't tell them how things really are <laughs> you are supposed to go into their fantasy land with them and my father-in-law a Laverne trip had been a drug addict and alcoholic for many years. So when I married into the trip family, it was my parents never touched drugs and alcohol as far as I know. It was completely a whole new world, the whole AA world and all that. It was a trip. uh, It was a trip. Yes. (laughs) You got to get honest. You got to get honest. If you need help, you got to get honest. And here's the key. You got to stay honest. (laughs) You can't be an alcoholic on Monday and act like you've never drank a drink on Wednesday. You it's a journey to get free and to stay free from all of that stuff. So, and it may not be drugs or alcohol, it could be all kinds of stuff. We and we all have something that we can work on. So, this book kind of goes into the deception that we do to ourselves. And if you will get honest, if you will have a goal where you want to go, so many people are just like don't know what I'm going to do today, where I'm going to go, where I'm going to end up in life. You got to have a goal. You got to have a decision. You got to have, you know, if we're playing darts, We'd have to have a bullseye that we're throwing the darts at, or no one's the winner. So, uh, people don't have a goal in life oftentimes. So, we actually have some practical steps, but we use some of our life stories and we have practical steps trying to help everybody. But, probably, let's just face the fact, probably more women than men. But, I hope it'll help everybody. I would love to see some men read this book and actually give me some feedback on it. But I'm that's
1: read it. I'll hard. give you some feedback.
0: <laughs> it was our desire to help people and we actually wrote it down so if you forget you can go back and read it
1: <laughs> well i want to ask you i mean the the whole world uh in the last couple of years uh sh- I stopped yes. with covid and everything yes. um and i know what that feeling is like for all of us but in the midst of all that two setbacks two major setbacks in yeah. your life um More than a, yeah and
0: setback, yeah
1: How far into the book were you when everything started happening, you know, as far as your husband's health and uh, and also with uh, your mother-in-law?
0: It was almost completely it was finished. I had already submitted it to the publisher before my husband went into the hospital. Mm -hmm. So it was finished. But then I had to go back. And I changed up a few things, and I had to write the epilogue, which was the update, what had happened. And I got to tell you
1: uh, this. For interrupting, but when this was happening, was the the publisher generous as far as your time was concerned because of what you were going through? Or was there any, were they requesting that you uh, go in and put a button on everything, an epilogue?
0: They they were the one who suggested the epilogue, yes. Because I was, honestly, I would have never written that epilogue if I didn't have to. Because it was very difficult to tell that. That was the hardest part, and that's what took the longest, to, to write that. And once I put that period on the end of that paragraph, that chapter, that's it. That's the end of the story. And here, it had just happened, and to bring myself to write the end of it, was almost more than I could bear because it just seemed so final, mm-hmm. so final. And the title of the book being, I was just going to say a minute ago, She Was Healed, it was like that, it was laying there at the publisher and it was beating me over the head because it was almost like a joke. Like, oh, really? She was healed? That's the name of your book? And all of this has happened? And now- so you're that
1: always the title? Was that always the title? Yeah. Oh,
0: yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was always the title. It's taken uh, from the Bible, Luke chapter 8, the woman with the issue of blood. Uh, she said to herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be made whole, which speaks to your inner voice, your confidence, low self-esteem, all of those things. I know I will be made whole. What do you know? And if she touched the him of his garment, so she had a goal a desired goal i know I'll be made whole most people don't even know what being made whole would be for them so there's many things that we took out of that and yeah that that was that was the point from day 1 and then i go through all of this and i'm i literally had to go back and read it like do i still believe all of this is all of this still true do i stand by all of this but i can tell you that i do and that's why i'm sitting here today Am able to at least get through it without crying. I mean, we're not done yet, so no promises. But uh,
1: I might join you. you know, so, <laughs> it, it's just I mean, yeah, I've it's had sad. to pull back a couple of times already today. Um, you said earlier, and uh, that uh, for a brief moment, and it's okay. Uh, but you said uh, you lost faith. How did you find your faith again?
0: I, I can't say as though I ever found faith. I might I mean lost it. I had to question it because I had believed my husband laid up at the hospital for 30 days. And he absolutely had miracles. His brain scans improved. They told me he would never breathe again. He was breathing on his own. He he was definitely improving to the point that we brought him home. And he didn't even I think he lived 20 hours at home. And I had a nurse <laughs> the whole time. I'm like, I'm not your nurse. We can tell you that. But It was literally like he stopped by the house and knew everything was okay and left. That's really what it was like. So it was like, what about my faith? I mean, I felt like for a minute, I felt like an idiot. Like here I've stood and believed that he's going to be fine. And what I've learned is this, we have a free will. And God gave us the ability, what trees cannot do, what fish cannot do, what a dog cannot do, what a cat cannot do. And that is choose what we are going to do. If I wanted to run out and kill myself today, guess what? I could. (laughs) We're given a free will. And my husband chose to go be with the Lord. That's what I believe. I believe he knew the rehabilitation he was facing. I believe my husband, well, I know he was the best at everything he did. And he would not want to be handicapped or although I was believing he had totally recovered. The doctors had told me it was possible, but it was a long road. And I think he heard all of that and he did not want to. Hey, wouldn't you rather go be with God? (laughs) That's what I think happened, I think. And he came by the house. We all slept under the same roof for one night and he went home to be with the Lord. And that was just it. So I had to know, just like the one with the issue of blood, do I really believe do I still really believe in God? Do I still really believe in helping children? Uh, what do I believe? Uh, you got to, it's a, it's a, I, I can't even tell you how uh, painful and introspective you become while you go through this kind of trial and tragedy. And I know many people watching today have gone through all kinds of tragedies. Maybe somebody's watching. You've lost three friends this week, but I will tell you to be grateful for the time that I've had going back to your original Um, word for the day, which is a great word being grateful. I had the most wonderful husband, the most wonderful mother-in-law I have had. Honestly, I hate to even tell you how good my life has been. My husband and I really never fought ever. He had went through a first marriage and I used to, I would always say he got kicked in the teeth the first time and that got him tenderized real good for me because he was always happily married.
1: I used to say that everybody should have a first marriage that should just be like a trainer kit.
0: There you go. That that kind of we had 21 absolutely wonderful years, wonderful children. Um, if anything, my only regret or only hesitation is: did I really was I really grateful for what I had at the time? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question. The family meals around the table. Was I, did I take it for granted? Was I really enjoying the moment? My mother in law would always say, All we have is today because she'd went through all those years of recovery with Laverne's addiction. She said, all we have is today. We got to be thankful for today. Oh, yeah, I'm thankful. And now I don't know that I was. Wow. I don't know that it
1: was. Well, I have to ask you you just got the book on Saturday.
0: Yes. What did it, what
1: <laughs> did it feel to have that, to hold that book in your hand?
0: Honestly. It's like having a baby a little bit. Have you written a book?
1: Uh, no, but I'm hoping to someday. I hope there's one in my future.
0: The editing is, oh, <laughs> oh you read it over and over. It. It, is <laughs> it is unreal. It is unreal. And even if you hire someone, because the publishing company has editors, right? Yeah, of course. But nobody knows what you're trying to say, but you. That's so right. they might fix some grammar. Well, and it changed the, the meaning of the sentence and then you have to go, okay, we'll fix the grammar, but I'm trying to say this. So that's why you can't hire someone or, you know, someone else do it for you have to do it. So it is like having a baby a little bit, but um, I'm forever grateful, uh, of course, for my mother-in-law, of course, my husband. And I think, I hope it'll be a great tool for my daughter, the rest of her life as my mother-in-law wanted it to be. And my prayer is that it helps people. And a portion of the proceeds from every book will go to Love for Music City because it is my desire to change foster care. People tell me I'm crazy, but more than ever, I'm determined to do it. And I believe we can do it. I believe it can be done.
1: I do and too, like and I, I believe that if anyone can do it, you can do it. And I want you to make a promise to me that if you have anything to promote or talk about, that you'll consider me on your on your.
0: Oh, are you kidding? I'm just thrilled to be here today. Uh, can I give a quick shout out let me see this Thursday will be on all social platforms loveformusiccity.org with our uh, sixth annual gala we have Sir Earl Toon as in Cool in the Gang Celebrate Good Times Come on he's going to be here the Queen of Bluegrass uh, Ronna Vincent is our uh, wow. Bill is an Icon recipient this year we're very thrilled about having her and then we will also Love for Music City will be benefiting from a country music concert December 16th and that is in Bargetown Kentucky so if any bluegrassers are out there, that's with Rhonda Vincent, J.D. Shelburne, and a host of other friends. So we have a few good things coming up. And I myself am believing for the rest of my year to be the best of my year. I encourage the those of you watching here, it is the last day of October. But I'm believing these last two months. Believe me, I, I had a rough start. I'm not gonna lie; I had a rough start in 2022.
1: Well, and I don't um, want you to go. I don't want you to go anywhere for a moment. Uh, I'm gonna say uh, number one: all this details I'm gonna have on my page. I'm actually on Thursday morning. I'm, it's nothing too serious. Uh, I am just getting an implant put in, but I'm having oral surgery on Thursday morning. There's a reason why I'm not doing a show Thursday night, so that I can sit back and watch this. Awesome, awesome. So so everybody tune in with me. Um, We're going to do a giveaway right now. So everybody who is signed on with gratitude, uh, here we go. Thank you all for being here. Uh, And this is how we uh, do this. Thank you all for being here today. Uh, We'll see who our winner is. And uh, it's Pam Stubbs. Oh, uh, Pam. Um, And uh, what's the best way for Pam to get in touch with you to get a copy of the book?
0: What do you think? Inbox me, email me. Um, I don't. Is this going out on all social platforms? You can uh, probably- yes,
1: yes. So I'll just have her send you. Uh-
0: how about tag me on this show because I'll go share it and just in the comment. I'm just concerned sometimes if you're not friends, you know how that is. You can't see right.
1: Uh, So, uh, Sean, you'll send me an email and then I will connect the two of you. Okay,
0: Okay. that'll be perfect. That'll that'll be great. Don't go anywhere for a
1: moment because I'm going to say my closing uh, remarks and then I'm going to turn it over to you. And you've got the final word today. It could be about anything that we talked about today that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had or just any final message that you want to leave everyone with today. So I'm going to give my final comments to begin with. Um, And as I began today, I'm going to end the day by saying gratitude. Um, We are ending a month. We're going into a new month. And, of course, November is the month of gratitude. Uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, Every day in Thanksgiving, every morning, think about the things that you're grateful for. And every night, as you put your head on your pillow, Count at least five to six things that you're grateful for every single day. And even if you repeat the same six things every day, it's okay. Just those things that you're grateful for, the people that you're grateful for, the people that have been part of your life, whether they've moved on or whatever. Uh, I always think of everyone, uh, Rob, I know that you're here today with all of us. Hmm. So, and thank you for the gifts that you've given to the world and that you will continue to give. These stories are amazing. Um, I always end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Uh, Today, what I'd like you all to do, if you can afford to do so, is go to your Facebook friends list, reach out to the second name that pops up, and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. Uh, If nothing else today, the messages are, tomorrow you may not have that chance to make that phone call. So make that phone call today. And then what I want you to do is go to your favorite bookseller and ask if they have She Was Healed. And if they don't, have them order it.
0: Order it, And then
1: get two copies. Keep one for yourself and send one to the second friend on your list, the one that you're going to call today. And you're going to let them know what they mean to you in your inscription to them. Uh, you don't need uh, Chanda's autograph, although Pam's going to get it. Uh, you can put your own autograph in it and let that person okay. know what they mean to you. My dear friend, Sean Moniger, always says, we're all in this together, That's but we're right. not in the same boat. You never know what someone else is going through right now. That's so true. But I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. So Shonda, I'm going to leave. It's all yours. Make sure you send me that email and uh, so that I can put you and Pam in touch with each other. Uh, and it's all yours. And this has been a real treat. Thank you so much. Well, Richard,
0: it has been my treat to be here. Thank you for letting me share uh, this big occasion for me with the book. But it has truly been a blessing. And it really been a great part of my day to be here. And I love that your word of the day was gratitude. I just want to uh, briefly say I am on a mission to change foster care. Love for music We're out to help and change the lives of foster care children. But here's the thing. If you want to get involved, we are trying to give every child a voice, every child a voice. And here's what I've learned. If you help someone else take Richard's advice, those things that he just said, You'll be the one who feels better. You'll be the one who, I call it anti-depression medication. Get out of yourself and help somebody else. I have been through the worst of circumstances this year. And if I had not have learned that a long time ago to keep helping somebody, keep doing something for somebody else, knowing is going to help me back. Not to give selfishly, but it, it will happen. Some call it karma. Some call it sowing and reaping. It is a universal law. It is true. So I encourage you today, help somebody, do something for somebody else. And I would love it if it were a foster child. Thank you so much, Richard, for having me on. Your heart is truly, truly precious and it shines through this show. God bless you.